Welcome to Trauma-Informed Parenting, where you can find information about adoption, foster care, parenting a child with a capital letter syndrome, such as ADD, ADHD, FASD, SPD, on the spectrum, etc., and trauma-informed parenting, all in one place. I'm Kathleen Guire, your host, mother of seven, four through adoption, former National Parent of the Year, author, teacher, and speaker, but more important than any of those things, I'm a parent just like you. I know what it's like to raise kiddos with trauma histories and capital letter syndromes. I used to feel as if I were the only one struggling, and because I felt that way, I isolated myself. I don't want you to feel alone in your parenting journey. So grab a cup of coffee and join me for Trauma-Informed Parenting, a Coffee Break Podcast. Hi, Kathleen Guire here. Welcome to this episode of Trauma-Informed Parenting. I have been doing a mini-series on FASD, Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorders, because September is FASD Awareness Month. So I took a little tangent. I had started a series on why traditional parenting doesn't work and what does work. I will go back to that in October, so be assured that you will be able to listen to those episodes in October. But today, I'm continuing. This is part two And last week, I talked about how FASD affects the brain, the body, biology, behaviors, and beliefs. And I talk more about that in the free trauma-informed parenting training, which I will link again in the show notes this week. But this week, I want to continue this series I'm just going to back up a little bit and talk about my search because if you have a child that you are fostering or you have adopted that is suffering from something on that spectrum of FASD, it may be less difficult for you to find information than it was for me, which I'm very, very grateful There are so many more resources, but when I started, I think about that scripture where it says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. And mentally and emotionally, for a long time, I felt as if I was perishing or failing my children because I couldn't find the information. And I was researching and looking everywhere to help my kiddos, like what was going to help them? Because the information that I was finding just gave the advice, don't drink while you're pregnant. Okay, well, that's great. But what do you do if the effects are already there? It's just like the um, organization I worked with before, SHIELD, One of the things that we would do is go into the school system and teach about the signs of abuse, how you would know that a child had been abused, neglected, sexually molested, those sorts of things, what signs to watch for. And my part of that was to share, okay, 
what do you do after you have that information and you know it's happened? What's next? Because often that information stops with, okay, you have a diagnosis, you know what's going on, you know what happened. The end. I paused on purpose there, you know, the end. But that's not the end of the story. And even if you do get an official diagnosis, which is very difficult to get, because you can't, there's no medical, there's a checklist and there's effects. So if, if people would go with that, and I will link the article that I've written about this, which is a lot more succinct and cohesive than me talking, if you prefer to read. But I wish that every pediatrician did the ACEs evaluation the adverse childhood experiences, and if there was potentially a diagnosis or there could have been alcohol and drugs in the system of the child that was in utero, and then they would begin to check these things. The list of physical anomalies, check these things. Obviously, a cleft Obviously, a cleft palate is very, you know, noticeable. But so many of the other things, like my daughter has an extra bone in her back. And it was making, she was having all kinds of issues with it. And it wasn't checked for. And she did not find out until she was an adult. Anyway, going off on a tangent there, because what I want to talk about today, which I said I would talk about, is how the, the brain and the central nervous system problems are. And I have a list here. So the problems with the brain and central nervous system may include poor coordination or balance, intellectual disability, learning disorders, and delayed development, poor memory, trouble with attention, and processing information, so often these kiddos will have a processing disorder. For instance, we are able to process seven things at a time on a normal intellectual level, normal processing, I should say, not intellectual. And that is why phone numbers are seven numbers. We can remember those seven numbers. But if your child has a processing disorder, they may only be able to process one instruction at a time. And that is why traditional parenting doesn't work, that lobbing instructions, okay, these are the five things I want you to do within the next half an hour, and you lob all these things. Make your bed, put your shoes on, clean up your room, you know, and then, you, then you're frustrated and the child's frustrated because half an hour later, they haven't done any of those things because they didn't process any of them. And I remember with one of my, one of my kiddos, it was with more, more than one, but um, especially one, I would say something to him and he would just get this blank look on his face. And then it looked almost defiant or angry. And I thought, well, is he not listening to me? But then when I spoke with a psychologist, it was that he wasn't processing what I was saying. 
So in simple terms, what happens with that processing disorder, and this isn't sciency, it's just they're not understanding what you're saying. It is not connecting. It is not making sense to them. So to continually just lob instructions at them and think the more that you say it, the more they're going to understand it is just really the definition of insanity. So I know I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent here, but I think it's important to point that out. So if you have a child who you think has a processing disorder, is struggling with auditory instructions, then you have to change the environment to suit them. And by that, I mean, give them one instruction at a time and also form some habits that they are doing the same thing at the same time every day so that you don't have to keep giving those instructions and them trying to process that because that takes a lot of energy from you and especially from the child. That's a lot for them to handle. Okay, let me go back to my list here. Difficulty with reasoning and problem solving. Difficulty identifying consequences of choices. That is a biggie. Like I could do 10 podcasts on that. Poor judgment skills, jitteriness. I can, I can read. Or hyperactivity, rapidly changing moods. That is a long list and there is a lot involved in that. And to actually pick each one of those apart and examine it is important if you think that your child or you know that your child has some part of the spectrum of FASD. Um, so I would encourage you to take a moment and think about that list. And that list is in the article that I'll link. Think about those things and which parts of that are your children struggling with? Which parts of that do you need to address with your child? Which parts of that are having such frequency and severity every day that it's affecting your child's life, your life, the peace in your home, the peace in his mind, the peace in his life, the peace, period. And start working on one of those at a time, not all of them. I, I don't want you to have such a sense of hopelessness because reading those things, you're like pretty much, you know, that's everything. The body, the brain, the biology, the beliefs, the behavior, that, that's everything. I remember the first time I heard that list when I was going through Empowered to Connect training. And I did. I like, my heart dropped. It's like, so, um, yeah, that's everything. But there is hope. There is, I'm going to read to you a little bit from my book, How to Have Peace When Your Kids Are in Chaos, just a little section about this. Because I'm telling you, I researched, I dug in, I found everything I could find out. And over time, I amassed a library on SPD, ODD, ADHD, RAD, 
autism, and more. Amazingly, I found out that these syndromes have many overlapping symptoms. So you may find that, and you may find that your child is also struggling with ADHD. And when I say struggling, I mean trying to make sense of the world through the lens that they're looking through. So it made, to me, it made sense to try some of the recommendations for these other capital letter syndromes. Like, why not? Why not try something and see if it helps? And before I move on, I just want to point out that there is no medical cure for FASD. And, and by that, I mean there's no magic pill to take that will alleviate all the symptoms. I don't say that to dissuade anyone from seeking medical attention from a doctor. I just want to make sure that the expectations you place on the doctor are not too high. I do know that the treatment for FASD is multifaceted, hands-on, time-consuming, but you can reap exponential results for the child's sake in the long run. I also know that when you are treating a child with FASD, you're usually treating a child with some sort of attachment issues. That's very possible, not always, but possible. ADD or ADHD, SPD, something. Another capital letter syndrome might be mixed in that soup. It's just the nature of the beast. So my advice is research all the capital letter syndromes. And I have drawn this out before and I'm really, I really wanna draw this out again. I did a Venn diagram and I included a lot of capital letter syndromes to see with FASD which overlapping symptoms they had. And that's why it can be confusing which ones belong to which thing. But it doesn't, you know what? In the long run, it doesn't matter it's finding out what works for your child and knowing the label isn't the answer. For instance, I have, I've said this before, I have celiac disease, so I have to eat gluten-free, so I read labels. I read everything. But that label tells me what is inside that package, okay? But the instructions for that label are completely different. And sometimes the instructions or what works or how you handle it are much more important. I mean, always much more important than the label itself. You get what I'm saying? So you have to find out what works for your kiddo. You have to find out what works for them because if somebody else says, well, this is what we do every day and it works great for Johnny and it doesn't work for you or for your kiddo, then don't do it. Don't do it, okay? Um, I can, like I said, all I can do is explain what's worked best for my children and what has failed miserably because <laughs> if you want to, if you want to know what's failed miserably, I have a very long list. 
And many times my research confirmed my inner inklings or intuition. So as far as FASD, I developed a three-pronged approach. It is not super sciencey. It's not like super detailed or difficult. It was just number one, nutrition. Number two, outdoors, outdoor exercise. And number three, structure. And some experts, especially at the time I was writing this book, because like I said last week, these chapters came from articles I had originally written and then transmogrified into chapters later. Many experts then were saying gluten-free was really great for people who were suffering from FASD. And my son did gluten-free for a long time and it really helped him with his, what he called his inner hulk. But I would definitely, definitely recommend very low sugar or no sugar. If you've ever been to an AA meeting, which I have with my dad, there's always donuts. There's always something sugary and sweet because you know what alcohol changes into, sugar. So kids who have FASD and adults who have FASD are going to crave sugar. And honestly, I watched my kiddos have this um, hangover, Monday hangover after church on Sunday because they would eat all the donuts and they would volunteer to take home the sweets from Sunday school class. I actually had to tell it, one of the teachers, like, you have to stop giving my child the donuts to take home after class. She said, well, I had no idea. And I said, well, I had written it on the card that you fill out at the beginning of the year. And she said, oh, they don't show me those cards. So if that's you, make sure you talk to the person who is actually teaching the class and not just put it on the information card. That's just a little tidbit there for you. So sugar, reduce the sugar, or if you can, cut it out altogether. Now I'm going to finish up because I'm over, I try to keep these about 15, 20 minutes. But let me just finish up with this. And I know this is difficult in this day and age, but it's extremely important. So nutrition, I'll just finish up with that. It's important to have large quantities of quality food, fruits and vegetables. Like I always buy those at the store. Lots of fruits and vegetables. Make your food at home as much as possible because there's so many additives in the, in the restaurant food, especially fast food. And I know that, you know, on this level, we all know this. We're like, we know that. But it's so important for your child to have that good nutrition. We don't want them to be having, Mondays were a wreck. I could not do anything with my kiddos on Monday because it was, I just called it hangover day. It's sad, but it was, it was hangover day. 
juice is full of sugar. I mean, I could go on and on, but research nutrition yourself. The most important issue is feeding your child is examine their nutritional needs and go from there. What have they been lacking? Protein, complete carbs, like complex carbs. Ha have they been fed a diet of refined sugar and foods with no new, no real nutritional value before they came home to you? Okay, so I'll finish up there and I'll just admonish you if that's your child, and I know you love your child more than anyone, more than I do, more than the doctor, more than the nutritionist, because we did go to a trauma-informed pediatric nutritionist for my youngest son. Um, yeah, do you're you're already doing that. I know you are. You're already researching. But this is if this is all new to you, if you are just learning all of this then begin to research on your own on the behalf of your child and find out what works for them nutritionally. And I will cover more of this next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Trauma-Informed Parenting. Make sure you subscribe on traumainformedparenting.com to receive a free resource and receive a newsletter plus updates when books or new courses are released. Also, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Podomatic, or Spotify and leave a review so other listeners can find trauma-informed parenting and know the value of the show. You're welcome to send me an email to contact at traumainformedparenting.com.